Wajid, welcome to uh, Serato Unscripted. Thank you for uh, for coming on the show today. What up, though, brother? Good to be here, man. Thank you for having me. Uh, where, where, where are we getting you from right now? You're in Detroit? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm here in the D. I've been here pretty much since uh, COVID started. So, yeah, I've been, <clears throat> been where I've always wanted to be. Even when I was on the road, I was dreaming about being here in the studio. So, yeah, this is it. Nice. Are you working on music right now um, while, you're in, while you're in lockdown? Constantly. I'm constantly working on music. You know, it's... Uh, there's never there's never a space where I'm not working on music, even if I'm not working on music, you know. So it's like I'm thinking about it if if, if I'm not physically making it, and uh, yeah. So yeah, I'm always working on stuff. Totally. Awesome. So yeah, first of all, I just want to say thank you for uh, you know agreeing to be a guest on this show today, um, and uh, and I want to let you know the first time I heard of you was uh, through the Bling Forty Seven series of records which you did. Uh, that was a, a website you ran. Is that correct? Yeah, it was a website that I created out of uh, <clears throat> wanting to uh, consolidate the Detroit hip hop community, and you know, not just uh, the hip hop community, but the entire music community, as well as uh, pre present an opportunity to to show ourselves and showcase ourselves to the world. So, so I guess it worked. Yeah, <laughs> it definitely worked for me. Um, and then um, the, the second thing I knew uh, of you was actually um, a record that you did for Plat but with as part of Platinum Pied Pipers, specifically yeah. the 12-inch for Riding High. Um, yeah. It's a, a jam, one of my favorite jams. Um, I played that all the time. And I'd love to hear about how you started, uh, how, how the Platinum Pied Pipers project came together. Well, the Platinum Pied Pipers, Platinum Pied Pipers project, PPP, <laughs> Uh, came about, uh, it had to be uh, 2003, 2003, uh, I had, at, by this point I had started uh, Bling 47, which was, you know, the global community that we just spoke about, or the Detroit community that we just spoke about, and um, I had started to release records, some of the first records we re released were Dilla Instrumentals and, you know, some of my instrumentals, and there was a ton of projects that we had uh lined up to come out and um i wanted i wanted more hands-on experience in releasing uh independent music so i decided that i would get an independent record deal as almost like uh, a course of learning a hands-on course of learning about how to release independent records and um yeah it came about really strangely where um there were some breakbeat records that i had I had actually uh, bought these records in Philly when we had, uh, Dilla and myself had went to go meet Jazzy Jeff. No way. And there was a store there. It was a really, really fantastic record store there that I cannot think of the name of. And um, I bought some breaks there. And I came back home and I wanted to find the rest of the, the breaks that were available. And they weren't in the record store. And lo and behold, on, on the, the records that I bought in Philly, uh, there was a number on the on the label, and I called the number. And uh, yeah, I was calling the number, and I left a message to say like, like this is this shit is whack. I ain't got no records in the D. Like we killing it right now. <laughs> I, mean, <laughs> I think I must have said something like that. Some arrogant and totally stupid. And somebody from the label called me back, and they were like, well, we would love to get some records in Detroit, and you know, like. We're big fans of what's happening over there. And by the way, who are you? <laughs> and uh, yeah, that's what started my relationship with Ubiquity Records, where we ultimately did the uh, Riding High 12-inch uh, one. 
musicians in that uh, project too is that correct yeah originally um, I mean it's no secret now that it was uh, myself and Dwelle that started Platinum Pied Pipers at the time he was signed to Virgin, Virgin Records so we couldn't use his name uh, so we name around backwards would spell Delu ah. <laughs> right. I don't know that's kind of cool yeah yeah so it was myself and Dwelle and then once Dwelle uh, basically when I signed a deal with Ubiquity to do Riding High which features Elude or Dwelle's voice on it. Um, <clears throat> the record caught fire, but so did Dwelle's career. Right. So, um, so Dwelle, you know, went to go do what Dwelle was doing, and um, I decided to continue on. So at that point, uh, what I thought I was doing, what I what, what I wanted to do is I wanted to just bring a band to support the actual music itself. And uh, yeah, that's how that's how I brought Sadiq into the team, and then I brought Tianbe and invincible and you know like uh, the the remaining of the cast of georgia and Muldrow, you know what i mean like i brought all these people in to kind of fill in the parts or use it as a rotating assembly wow i mean that's such a stacked lineup i mean just the people you just mentioned there sadiq georgia and Muldrow, uh, Muldrow, and man you've got some amazing talents tiambe lockhart they're all so so prolific and, and have made such amazing music as well uh that's a it's a rare yeah. opportunity to have so many great people in a group. I mean, you know, it, it was, uh, but you know, it, it came at a great cost because, you know, I had to ultimately, because I was connected in the music business and I was, you know, in my circle with Dilla and Dwelle and, you know, had a, having access to almost all the soulful singers, you know, uh, the label basically said, man, why don't you go get some of those people? <laughs> you know what <laughs> I mean? Like, and uh, I was like, nah, like, this is the next like these are the people that we should have and uh i fought for it and they eventually they bought into it and you know some of those, those people are legends in my opinion yeah did you have much to do with dwelly and um on his first rec record uh, the rise record did you do a lot of production on that or no i, did, I didn't do any production but i executive produced the record okay. uh, i helped yeah like i did the artwork i did the photography for the album um, I did the, the design for the artwork. Uh, I helped uh, helped the album get printed. Like I did all the work in terms of the label work, and I uh, also helped with some dis distribution. Yeah. Wow. That's that's uh, brings me to a question I was going to ask a little bit later, but uh, it seems like a perfect time to ask it right now. I mean, you've contributed, um, you know, a lot of designing uh, work, uh, specifically from what I understand, the Fantastic Volume Two record and. The whole project of that you you shot you designed the whole album as well and you had a big part you were a big part of the slum village family is that that's correct yeah absolutely correct yeah that's like uh <clears throat> you know between Dwelle and dilla and slum village the whole crew like yeah those those are those are my teammates like you know I, I had no idea or um i had no idea what the fuck i was doing really you know what <laughs> i mean <laughs> you know i'll be the first to, to say it um just in terms of uh being a record producer or, you know, to be an exec, you know, I didn't even know it was the name for that job. You know, it was more just like 
how do we get this thing done? How do we figure it out? How do we uh, put ourselves where we're in a position to have ownership and, you know, like, uh, and how do we small scale change? That was the, that was, that was my larger kind of focus and whatever the job took, you know what I mean? So with Dwelle, it was assisting him with what he needed and uh, ultimately him returning that favor back and putting that into PPP for me. But Slum Village, you know, it was uh, it was a lot more personal, you know what I mean, because that was my those were my closest friends at the time, and yeah, it was just more about like uh, Dilla Dilla at that particular time. I mean, he was producing for everybody, you know what I mean. Like I think this was, <clears throat> I don't even remember what year it was, but it was the year that he was like the it was before the Uma got started. Okay. And he was producing for everybody, so he was good in terms of money you know and being able to you know survive and being able to make means for himself but you know the rest of the team it wasn't so much you know right i was i was in my uh, i guess my first year of college where i won a full scholarship so you know i was i was pretty good uh, financially and um yeah the rest of the team weren't doing so great so you know i had this idea it's just like listen man like let's take all of these songs that everybody was playing every weekend at House Shoes is playing every, you know, every Friday night, you know, at, at St. Andrews. Let's take all of these songs and put them in a bundle and sell this product. And uh, later on, it can be defined as some uh, fantastic volume one. Wow. And that was, was that the kind of the, just before Bling 47? Or was Bling 47 an extension of that, that desire to get the music of your friends out? That was prior to Blink 47. So yeah, it's like that was that was well before. Yeah, one I even knew that there was an industry to be a part of, and then uh, two before I even knew that there was a community that the world that the world was looking at. You know, yeah. Uh, the Blink 47 was a result of putting together Fantastic Volume One, best Fantastic Volume One coming out on a small independent label in Europe, and then largely going to tour to support that album that's when i saw like wow people really give a fuck about what we're doing you know what i mean so it's so we need to make sure that we give them you know uh how, how that, that we show them how we see ourselves and that how we you know like how we want to be seen totally it's um it's interesting you said you you had a scholarship um and it kind of one of the questions i wanted to ask you was did you get into music or photography first which one was which one was the was the first passion uh, music was first. Okay. And music was before before um, Slum Village was formed, and I formed with Slum Village, and we became Slum Village. Uh, I had a group with uh, by ten of Slum Village. Okay. And, and we had a we had a group called H Two O, hard to oppose. <laughs> and uh, so yeah, that was that was. Um, I mean, we started that as early as eighth grade, eighth or ninth grade. Oh, wow. So by the time that we became high school students, that's when we formed with different people in the neighborhood and eventually became So, yeah, it was, um, so art was first. I mean, I'm sorry, music was first. And then in high school, I kind of developed my, my focus on art. And eventually I won uh, a full scholarship to go to, at the time, it was called Center for Creative Studies, um, which was one of the premier uh, schools to that that you would go to for industrial design, which ultimately means design cars. Oh, okay. So, 
I went to school as a as a car designer. Wow. Won a full scholarship to to learn how to design cars and products, shoes, uh, bikes, everything. You know. That's awesome. Um, yeah. Side note: I gotta now. I gotta ask you. What's your favorite car? I mean, just being from Detroit, I feel like I have to ask you that question. What's your favorite well, designed car? I, I, I probably shouldn't answer that question because I am in Detroit, but I will say that, uh, like, you know, I, I'm a big fan of, of muscle cars, particularly. Yeah. Not what they do for the, the world, but what they do aesthetically, you know, yeah. just in terms of what they represent in terms of the times that they were created in. Um, so, yeah, muscle cars, you know. Chargers, SS, you know what I mean? Anything anything old and boxy, I'm, I'm a big fan of. It's amazing to hear industrial design is like, obviously, it's such a, a wide scope of things that you can do, like you were saying. But um, but yeah, of course, cars, I, I can't believe I didn't think of that, you know, being such a big part of the history of Detroit. Yeah, they were, they were they, at that time, they were scouting high school students to, to be able to invest themselves inside of Center for Creative Studies and then largely progress and eventually become, you know, like the people who were designing the latest and the greatest. Yeah. And I, I, that's where that's where they pulled me in. They pulled me in at, at 16. Wow. Like I, start, I started winning scholarships and eventually a full scholarship and eventually leaving school to, to become uh, a musician. <laughs> So have you seen that? I watched this movie recently. Um, it's uh, about John DeLorean. Um, I think it was on Netflix or something. It was very interesting, though. But have you have you heard about his career as a as a car designer? Very little. I don't know much, but I know he was an outsider in terms of the whole thing. So he kind of he kind of created his own way. Yeah, man. It was a really uh, amazing uh, do documentary. It was redone. But I just I didn't just go on Wikipedia and Googling this, this guy's life story. And I tell you what, man, it's a fascinating story. That guy. I mean, the fact that he had obviously a, a hugely successful career in the automotive industry, but then, um, you know, his 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 car, the DeLorean, obviously went back to the future and everything, uh, had a, met a, a terrible fate. And the whole story about around that is is incredibly fascinating. Um, but uh, yeah, just hearing his his, his story, I, I highly recommend checking it out. It's uh, it's really sure, interesting. I'll, check, I'll yeah. check that out, but. I kind of, I can, I can kind of assume what happened inside of the story. I mean, you know, like the car game is pretty, the big three is pretty gangster in terms of, you know what I mean? Like, you know, like Detroit is one of the only cities that does not have a subway, you know what I mean? And right. that, that is invested in transit and does not have a subway. And that's a result of the big three and they're gangsters. So I, I can assume uh, what happened to John DeLorean. No doubt. Yeah. Um, Actually, um, also on a bit of a tra uh, tangent here, but um, there's another interesting part of industry in Detroit that I'm fascinated by, um, and it was from a Gil Scott Heron song, We Almost Lost Detroit, where they talk about um, a, a nuclear meltdown that happened very close to the city of Detroit. Were, were you around for that? Do you remember that? No, I don't remember that very much. You know, my parents, my parents probably shielded me away from the information surrounding that to avoid panic. Yeah. But uh, yeah, yeah, yeah I, I'm I'm familiar with the song, and uh, I, I have some knowledge of it, but not not a ton. Yeah, it, it's fascinating that um, I mean, obviously in this modern time we're in, you know, everything we need power and everything, and it was fascinating to learn about the fact that America had a very close call with the nuclear, you know, meltdown before Russia and and Chernobyl, of of course, which we all know is the massive meltdown. It also coincidentally has a TV series made made around it, which is terrible by the way 
Pretty yeah, that, that was pretty dark. <laughs> right? That was pretty dark. You know what I mean? It's like watching a movie about the Titanic. Like, I know how this ends up. You know what I mean? I'm just watching, like, I'm just watching things progressively get worse. Exactly. Um, but yeah, anyways, um, yeah, it's fa it's a, a quite a, a sad story, but it sounds like um, they didn't lose Detroit, which is why I guess the song was titled such. Knock, knock on wood. <laughs> yeah. Um, but anyways, getting back to um, the music, um, I'm interested also hearing in the group that you had, H2O with Batin, what was your role? Were you were you writing uh, you know, lyrics or were you producing beats? What was the original role that you had there? Yeah, my role with H2O was um, producer DJ. Okay. So you've always been a DJ. It's been from the from the get-go. Yeah, from the very top. Yeah, it's like I was very clear about what um, what I wanted to do inside of the group and how I wanted it to look. And, you know, I was even making logos for our group at that time. And then I heard a story about um, you getting into production with uh, with an NPC. This was, um, it was a broken NPC. Is that right? Yeah, there was a... Um... So I mean, things went things went really quickly after um, Fantastic Volume One came out. That's that's the one I was a part of. So Fantastic Volume One came out. We did a small amount of cassettes that were only available pretty much locally, and um, I even kept the books on that. I did all the accounting. So the manufacturing of that small album here, I mean, or a small cassette here eventually went out and you know people heard about it and people were buying it and people were bootlegging it etc cetera, etc cetera. slum got a small record deal from europe and then eventually they got like a larger deal which is where they decided to call fantastic one fantastic two <laughs> which was basically a copy of everything that was on the new album with additions of buster rhymes and you know like everybody else that was you know with jazzy jeff was added to a song or you know what I'm saying? But the the basic skeleton was created in Fantastic Volume One. And um at this time I was still in I was still in college as well. You know what I mean? So um yeah, on my weekends or when it was summer, you know, like I spent a lot of time with Dilla in his basement. And um, you know, he was making so much money at that time, you know what I mean? Like there was tons of equipment in his basement that just sat there. And uh one and one of these drum machines was a MPC two thousand. And um, every time that we would go shopping, record shopping on the weekends, you know what I mean? Like I would come back and see this lonely little drum machine in the corner. And another weekend passed and another weekend passed and it's months and months of this thing just sitting in the corner. And um, eventually, you know, like uh, it wasn't in the corner and I asked about it, you know? Not that I had any ideas or like any like real motivation to even think about making music but uh he explained he, he said to me that quest love had broken this drum machine or something like that and um i think he fell asleep on it or something or he hit a button too hard and the the, the disc had gotten stuck inside of it. Oh. and um at this time in school i was taking a metal smithing class and I was pretty handy with the tweezers, you know what I mean? Because that's part of that's part of you know what I'm saying, like you know, cutting the, the solder, and then you know it's like so I was I was ill I was ill with the, with the ten fingers, you know what I mean? And uh, so I was like, yeah, well, you know, if I get this uh, this disc out, can I take it home? 
like, sure. You know, there's a natural reaction, like, whatever, yeah, fine, yeah, okay. You'll never get it out, but fine. <laughs> within within 30 seconds, man, I had this thing out. I had to, I had it out of there. I had taken it apart, dismantled it, blah, 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 blah. I got this thing out. And he's just like, oh, wow, like, man, like, you're pretty serious. Do you really want to make some beats, you know? And that's what that's what struck my interest, you know what I mean? Like, if you say no, you know what I mean? Like, if you challenge me on that level, I'm going to be like, you know what I mean? Like, okay, well, yeah, sure. I want to take it home. Yeah. Yeah, I'll take it home. I'll make some beats. Absolutely. You know what I mean? And I had collected the records, you know what I mean? And, you know, like, I had four, I had past knowledge of, of knowing how to make music. And um, it just took that dare to, to push me in a position where it's just like, I'm going to try this thing. And I did. And, uh... The rest is history. <laughs> That's, I'm so glad you did. Well, I am too. I tell you what, I, I am. But I'm, 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 I'm excited that he challenged me that day. No doubt. Um, speaking of making music, um, you've you've made a lot of uh, great records recently as well. Um, a couple of my favorites, mm -hmm. "Make It Boom," which I was very, very lucky to have uh, got received that from you. So thank you very much for that. Um, and Absolutely. Then more recently, the Shango EP which are, in my opinion, all really, really interesting takes, modern takes on dance music with a certain kind of a, if, if, if I may, hip-hop approach. Can you kind of tell me how you arrived to the sound or that you've developed that way, you know? Um, I think it's just, it's super unique. Well, I'll start by saying that uh, thank you for uh, the compliment in terms of uh, it being, it having an original thumbprint inside of the genre because that's that's always really important uh, to me is to not you know to, is to add to the to the links in the chain and not just uh, replicate you know what's already been done and um, to answer your question you know dance music has always been uh, in the core of my being I would say you know what I mean like uh, hip hop is. Hip hop is an acquired language for Detroiters. In my opinion. It's something that we have to go. We have to, at that particular time when I when, when we came up, it was something that we had to seek out. You know, we had to go and look for, you know, besides besides the commercial stuff that was coming in and you know like the obvious stuff, like we had to make a real effort to go out and find, you know, these these groups that had like these idiosyncrasies that just made them very new and fresh. So that was always, you know, uh, so we have to acquire that language. But the, the language of dance is something that we've been born and raised with, which partially brings me to the space that I'm at now. You know what I mean? Like, I've, I've, between hip hop and soul music, you know, I've always been uh, great fans of, and, you know, like I've always had so much admiration and respect for those genres, but it's not my legacy. If you was born in Queens, in New York, you can say that hip-hop is your legacy. It's your legacy. It was born in your borough, you know what I mean? Like, it was it was developed by your people, you know what I mean? Like, you know, and um, it's your natural language, you know what I mean? So, with that being said, um, Detroit has many uh, native languages, but I consider techno and dance music to be the primary. Yeah, I'd say that most people probably know Detroit for that too, right? 
Yeah, I mean, between cars and, you know, like techno yeah. and, high, and high murder rates, you know what I'm saying? Like, that's what people, <laughs> that's what people say about us, you know, primarily. Um, that's, that's an interesting question for me, though, about techno and hip hop. I mean, growing up, I, I hate to say, but, you know, there was always a bit of uh, tension between, you know, the house and techno fans and hip hop fans. It was almost a divide. And I you know I've talked to a lot of people about it um, because it's a fascinating thing to me. Um, did you always like both, or was there ever a time where you felt like you had to choose a side or, or, yeah. or subscribe to one or the other? Absolutely, I I felt like I totally had to choose a side. Absolutely, yeah. So it's like uh, just in just in nature of you know like the kind of uh, the energy that kind of comes with hip hop, as opposed to the energy that kind of comes from dance and house music. You know, like. Dance and house music is activism just in its nature. You know what I'm saying? It's, it, it's, it involves inclusivity. It involves, you know what I mean? Like uh, tapping into something. It involves more, uh, a heightened sense of community, you know, as opposed to hip hop, which is considered to be more hyper masculine and combative, you know what I mean? And, you know, if you got the top spot, then I want to pull you down from the top spot. Not to say that dance music is not that at all, but you know what I mean. But uh, it is uh, in spirit. It's it's it, it it's born out of a different space. You know what I'm saying? It's born out. Of, it has a different core. It has a different um, a construct to some degree. So yeah, I was always forced to make a choice. It was always it was always like, okay, are you gonna play hip hop at this party? Yeah, or are you gonna play dance music at this party? You know I mean? Even in my 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 days of coming up at uh, three floors of uh, fun, which is the shelter, which is where house shoes play, hip hop was here on um, on one floor and house was on another floor. So it's symbolic just in terms of like, well, what floor are you gonna be on tonight? You know what I mean? As opposed to going back and forth between the two. Yeah, it's it's always kind of crazy to me because they're born out of such similar foundations, you know. I mean, but yeah. but yeah, it, it's uh, it's especially you know as somebody who makes music that is very uh, informed by hip hop aesthetics. Do you feel like there is a bit more acceptance within the house community and techno community, and vice versa within the hip hop community for those sounds? You know, and um, I'd like to say yes, but maybe it's not. You know, maybe um, maybe my level of tolerance and understanding and um, just hope for humanity is different than where it really is. You know what I mean? Or I don't know. I, w I would like to say yes, but um, you know, if I, if I had to judge it by you know like uh, conversations with a lot of young people in in this particular city that I have, you know, like they don't know shit about. You know, they think it's a European invention. You know, in terms of dance music. You know, and, and even you know like. Being in Chicago, the last time I DJed there, you know what I mean? Like I played, I mean, these are like hometown anthems, you know what I mean? Like joints that were born and raised out of Chicago, you know what I mean? And, and, and they look at you like, what the fuck are you doing? You know what I mean? So it's like, so, I, you know, I, I I don't know. I mean, I, I can't say, but I do I do hope that uh, there's, a, there's a brighter side to that and just in terms of like, younger people and their uh, acceptance of things that are different and their level of inclusivity and their levels of understanding of genreless music. You know, like that's, 
that's part that's the core reason of why I kind of started what I started in terms of Blink 47 and that's always been uh, a, a core of my career which is just to create music that had no genres that had no limitations that it's just it's you know it's good music or it's bad music you know it's like you know it's either it's either or either you get it or you don't you know yeah it's interesting I feel like there's definitely a couple of artists that I can think of that come to mind um, that are really breaking that barrier down people like um channel trez or channel trey yeah. um yeah. k is another example of somebody who's really uh, you know makes amazing hip-hop but also makes this kind of hybrid house dance music um and even um jared jackson or Lakim from you know la they've got this real amazing approach to making house or you know dance music um that's super informed similar to your you as uh, from a hip-hop side which is really amazing yeah, man. I mean, I'm I'm glad I'm glad that those people are doing what they do. You know what I mean? And, but you know, like the, I think, uh, very much like anything else, you know, what I'm saying it's important that you uh, that you realize that you know uh, that, that that in order to get to this space, there's this much work. You know what I mean? And uh, I would say that you know, like uh, that's why it's important for me constantly to play, pay acknowledgement to my ancestors and people that are putting in the work because you know like the the place that i stand from in this in this level of privilege that i have you know it's not a result of my own work and uh yes yeah, it's, it's important to remember that so yeah again i'm glad that those dudes are like or those people are um in that space you know what i mean and um i hope i just hope they keep pushing you know what i mean like let's keep it pushing like let's let's push it into spaces that we are now you know, and, and establish greater levels of understanding on on every and all of them. Speaking of which, um, I'd love to hear some of the seminal Detroit songs that you're talking about, and you know, especially that that influenced you, but are like anthems in Detroit that are really important to the city and culture of the city. Yeah, I mean, it's there's too many to name. There's too many. <laughs> Can you give us like a a top two two or three? Sure. Uh, 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 I would say um, one one pivotal song is uh, made by Mad Mike Banks. Timeline. That's the name of the track. Oh, pivotal. You know what I mean? Is uh, you know, it was, it, this record was similar to like Jill Scott's record. Like you were here, like the thugs playing it. You know what I'm saying? You were here, the gangsters playing it, all the way to you know what I'm saying? Like it being played at block block parties. You know what I mean? For like, for like older folks you know what i mean like so yeah timeline was one of those tunes that's uh you know, mad mike from underground resistance right yeah yeah correct correct under 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 uh the the name of the group is timeline and uh the name of the track is called Timeline. awesome yeah yeah that was one of those tunes that you know it was your it was your go-to michael jackson tune in detroit where if everything else is failing miserably that's the one that you play to kind of regroup everybody's attention you know what I mean yeah that's just one you know what I mean like there's so many like uh uh, uh the look of love for uh, slum village is one of those ones that you know what I mean like it's just like fail safe you know like really like uh it, it touched the heartstrings of many people you know what I mean so uh yes yeah, it's, it's it's too many to name is that that was um J88 before was that before that was slum village yeah, well, you know, J they they created J eighty eight to avoid legal pursuits. Ah. 
they they created it as an offshoot name for a group so that they could continue to put music out while they were under another band. So they were under Slum Village here, but they put out J88 here in order to be, uh, or 788, well, I forget what they call it, but uh, they did that to keep themselves to, uh, away from a legal bond. Okay. I, should, I shouldn't be saying this shit, but I don't you can edit that. No, it's fine. Say it. <laughs> well, good. I'm good for it. I can hold it. Okay. Is there any? Uh, is there one more that you can think of? Mm. There's a track that you may not have heard about, but uh, it was a very, very pivotal record for me. Um, Carpet People. Theo Parrish. I think Theo's from Chicago. Okay, I'm not sure where I'm not sure where Theo's born, but I mean he's he's considered one of my own. But yeah, it's the uh, the record's called Carpet People, and again, it's one of those records that fit that fine line somewhere between dance and you know like hip hop or down tempo stuff. You know what I mean? So those are those are always the records for me that were really pivotal, or like yeah, those are the records that matter to me. The records that you, could get you from one space to another space. Those records that could help you transcend between genres and kind of be nameless in between. You That's know, the records, the records that are 110 and, you know, like like the record I remixed for you. All right, so it's like it's the records that are 110 and the records that are 115, 105, you know what I mean? Like the, the shit in between. The sweet spot. The sweet spot. I consider that the sweet spot. Yeah, that's the... That's, those are the propelling. That's 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 before you propel, you know. Amen. Yeah. Um, there's actually a, one other song. Um, I just want to ask you about because um, it's. I know it's. I'm I'm pretty sure it's a Detroit record, but number of names. Uh, Shari Vari. Oh yeah, it's a Detroit record. Sure. Yeah, that's a like a prototype techno record. That was one of the, the first. Uh, ex- things that kind of defined that, right? Is and that's a. Uh, can can you tell me about your your relation with that record? Yeah, the first, very first time I heard uh, a number of names was on the New Nash show. Or it might have been the scene at the time, because there was, it was the scene first and then it grew into the New Dance show. I, so I think it was uh, the scene. The scene used to come on um, at 6 o'clock every day on Channel 62. And uh, it was a place that you could tune into and you would see middle class black people, you know what I'm saying? There was some couple white folks in there you know what i mean like you know there were some you know like brown people up in there you know what i mean but generally it was primarily black people middle class black folks dancing to techno <laughs> not detroit techno as they try to put this shit on it you know what i'm saying like that's not detroit it's techno you know what i mean so it's like yeah like they would they would be dancing to wine atkins and there was one particular time i remember i remember it very vividly um, a woman dancing to a number of names, and uh, it was just—it's just the wildest shit. <laughs> you hear people dancing to see people that look like you. You know, there was a woman on there that was a school teacher. You know, there was a dude that came on there occasionally that was my neighbor. Wow. And um, you know, like these were just like 
people from the neighborhood that you know went to go dance to like this music that was incredibly futuristic and incredibly black. You know what I mean? And the way that the DJ was doing it, I think it was um I can't think of the DJ's name, but um the way it was done, I mean, it was just flawless. You know what I mean? And there was so just based on that, there's no way in fucking hell I couldn't make dance music. There's no way that you, you can see that, that you can witness that every day, you know what I'm saying, five times a week and not not replicate that in some way. Yeah. yeah. Almost impossible. That's yes. That brings me to this, this uh, I guess, a, a question about um, the Detroit influence on the world of music. I mean, it's yeah. it's well known in some circles. I feel like this conversation we're having is a good example of that, you know, that we understand that, you know, it's the birthplace of techno. It, that's where it came from. But I think a lot of people often assume it came from Germany or other parts of Europe. Um, do you think that there's a part of cultural racing going on there, or what? What is that? Yeah. I mean, but I mean, it's white supremacy at its finest. Right. White supremacy at its finest. You know, like it, when you have these these genres of music that were born house and techno, born in black cities, and you know, like you're in a space now where it's predominantly being played in, the, in places that look nothing like it, that don't reflect it at all. And it's like, that music didn't come from them. How could it come from them? Look at what they're doing, right? you know what I'm saying? Like all this crime wave and all of this media bullshit that happens with Detroit and Chicago and to make it look like we're the worst place on the earth. And you know, it, it makes people afraid. And how could this place of fear create this place of beauty? You know what I mean? And, you know, the response for a lot of people is that, yeah, well, it came from Europe. You know, it's, it's, it's a way to uh, erase the cultural legacy that, you know what I'm saying, that, that, that the music entitles itself to. So, yeah, it's just white supremacy at its finest, you know what I mean? Which is, is no great surprise to me, you know what I mean? But it's just like, you know, us, um, I mean, I know the truth. I, I've, I bear witness to it. You know, I saw it in its infancy, and I see it where it is now. You know. Yeah, yeah. It's very sad um, to you know to hear that. I've been to Detroit a couple of times, and I've seen you there, and it's it's such an amazing city. It's such a beautiful city, and the people are so nice. And I've always felt very safe. I've always felt very welcomed there, and I, I feel like that's one of the saddest things is that people have this negative idea of of, a, of a, such a beautiful uh, such a beautiful city. It's an interesting, it's a fascinating place, and there's obviously um, such a, you know, a lot of, uh, you know, cultural ruin that you see there as well. Obviously, there's been a, you know, a departure of a lot of people, and but it's it, at the core, it's still got a lot of love, and I just don't, I feel like that's a such a, a shame, you know what I mean, in a lot of ways. You know, it, it is a shame, and you know, it's sad, but you know, in, in so many ways, you know, it's it's. Uh... It's a benefit because it keeps dumbasses out of here. You know, <laughs> people that you know, like <laughs> yeah, I probably shouldn't say it, but I don't give a fuck. Yeah, that's good. But yeah, it puts me in a position where you know what I'm saying like I'm the news and the world has painted these really, really you know fucked up pictures and uh, and to note that to some degree you know like some of it, it, it there's some truth in there somehow you know that it is tough and that it is complicated and that there are you know there's a learning curve and there's there's pros and cons you know but um yeah but you know for the large part like you know like there are a lot of people that don't come here because they they believe that shit right 
So those are the people I just don't have to be bothered with. You know what I mean? Like, I just don't have to ask questions. You know what I'm saying? I don't have to answer questions from those people. I don't have to engage with them. You know what I mean? So it's like, if you get it, you get it. You know what I mean? Like, it's very much like Detroit music. Yeah. Yeah. Like if you get it and you connect to it, then it's yours to have. You can benefit from it. You know, like you can become a better listener or a better DJ or a better producer, you know, uh, based off being a part of it. But, you know, if you don't get it, that's your fucking loss, man. You know what I mean? Like, so, so it's like, you know, it's, you either spent, you, as a, as a Detroit based, as a Detroit based black artist, an adult male like myself, you know what I mean? It's like, you know, I'm tired. I'm, I'm at a space where, you know, like I'm, I'm kind of bored with stopping my conversation to have to explain to people like, no, we don't kill each other. You know, <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, come, yeah. come on, man. Like that's not that's not a real thing. That's some that's a cops episode. That's not that's not real life. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's, not to, yeah. Not to say that there that there's not issues in terms of Chicago and Detroit, and there's not things that need to be dealt with. It's just not. It's just not. It's not crazy, crazy. It's not. It's not. It's not even that bad. No, that's what I mean. I've always felt very comfortable and safe there. And, you know, um, you know, I'm from, I'm originally from New Zealand, you know, I have no, you know, touch point for it. But um, one of the things I also think is really interesting about Detroit and, um, and especially, you know, the black community from Detroit and technology is the innovations that have been, you know, created and pioneered, not just with techno, but in technology and, and the world of music time and time again. And I think of, you know, really important, touch points like dj pierre and the 303 um you know the use of drum machines like the 808 and 909 as being of pieces of equipment that were not really created for the purposes that they became known for but you know Mm -hmm. became hugely popular because of genres that came from detroit you know um yeah i'd really be interested in getting your take on that especially since someone like yourself who's done industrial design you've always had a relationship with technology um you know what's well i mean there, there are benefits to being, you know, the, the, the last people that people expect something from. There's a, there's a benefit to, to being at the end of the earth, at the end of the earth, like you are, like New Zealand is considered to be. People just don't fucking pay attention. You know what I mean? So it's like when you come up and you do something great, you know, it's like, you know, it's very much like white supremacy. You know what I'm saying? Like, as a black person, I've had to watch white supremacy my entire life. You know what I mean? So it, but what white supremacy does for those people is that they don't even see me. They don't even see me coming. They don't see the innovations that I have. They don't see. They don't see the fact that that I may be smarter or may I may be more advanced in terms of many things than they are. So that's the benefit of being in a place that's slept on. You know what I mean? Is that you can make those innovations quietly. You can figure them out in your own time. You can figure those ideas out in your own space. You can make those things are very long winners and then reveal it to the world. And then the world's like, Oh shit. I wasn't expecting that to, to come from you. I wasn't expecting anything to come out of you. You know what I mean? So I mean, the innovations that it's just in a natural, it's a natural occurrence of being marginalized. And, uh, sleep if you want, you know, it's interesting when you talked a little earlier about uh, traveling and um, when you first started traveling and seeing there was such a demand for 
you know the music of your friends um slum village and 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 you know obviously the platinum pie pipers and so forth was that a real big awakening for you when you started traveling that was like one of the biggest takeaways uh, what change it that changed your perspective about the way the world saw detroit absolutely you know it's very very often you have to uh judge yourself for how you see yourself and very often you have to judge yourself about how the, how others perceive you and um life's journey is somewhere about balancing those two things about what you know about yourself and your potential and then ultimately sometimes when you you doubt yourself and you see other people's response to what you've done and you use that to kind of like validate yourself internally so Detroit was very much that you know Detroit only you know we had we had a way of doing things and seeing ourselves but not in the way that people were did in foreign lands I'll say so yeah that was super um enlightening to be able to to see how people were responding to these things that were just throwaway shits to us you know what I mean like they didn't have I was like, that's not that's not even a full song. Okay, fuck it, just put it out. You know what I mean? And so it's like, so yeah, it was super helpful. It was super helpful. But you know, it's that. But again, that's to find balance as well because at the same time, you know, it's like just even a word, just even separating Detroit techno from techno. You know what I'm saying? It's the same as some people will say, female DJ to DJ. You know what I mean? It's like. Yeah, like yo, like you can't. I'm, I'm the whole. I'm the whole thing. I'm the whole. I'm not part of it. I am. I'm the. I'm. I'm the most important part. The foundation. The foundation. You know what I mean? So it's like, so in so 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 under those circumstances, it's just kind of like, okay, well, you know, it's like, yeah, you listen, but you you don't listen, you know. Yeah, one of the that was actually to me actually was one of the biggest realizations by going to Detroit. Um, I went initially for the Movement Music Festival you were playing at, and I remember oh, yeah. going to Underground Resistance Record Shop, which also housed right next door was your record shop, the Dirt Tech Record Shop as well. And then not too long, not too far down the street was Moody Man's house, <laughs> and I was just like, right up and right up the street is Motown. Yeah, and now it's right down the street is uh, the Underground. Um, Music Academy. Uh, so, so is this uh, the Music Academy that you're building? Right. Yeah. Can let's right. let's hear about that. I, I've been, I've wanted to ask you about that. Um, you're you're working on that right now. Is that correct? Yeah, have been. Uh, we've, we've been at it for like the last five years. The last five years. So, um, the Underground Music Academy is uh, a center for learning. Um, that is. Um, I'm the executive uh, director. And uh, again, we've been working on this space for the last five years. Um, it comes out of the, it comes out of the space of, or it comes out of the idea of every time I would get on the plane and arrive in Italy or someplace, you know, like these long weekends that I'm spending out in Europe DJing, I rarely saw a reflection of myself. Very rarely, I would rarely see someone my age or younger. It's very rare that I was be on a plane with someone that was going to do the same job that I was doing. And, you know, it's like it, it gets to the point where it's just like you start to see a system of things that are just not reflective of a really inclusive community in terms of dance and electronic music worldwide. So, 
you get to a point where it's just like, listen, like I'm not going to continue to wait for this thing to descend upon me and, and just happen. I need to be active in making this space. So the Underground Music Academy is main, our main focus is to create leaders of the new school, you know, leaders who are independent, deeply independent, deeply educated, you know what I'm saying, and deeply aware of, of our value inside of the space. And yeah, that, just the space to be able to give the tools and encourage um, the esteem of the next generation of producers for the world. That's incredible, man. Thank you. And uh, wh how, how far along are you guys and, and, and what, what is the focus of what you'll be teaching? Well, it's been, it's been about five years, but you know, we're finally at a space now where, you know, we're meant to do some crowdfunding and start getting some help on this thing to get us past the point. And, you know, with COVID and everything that's happening inside of, to not be in a position to actually have students inside of the space, now this gives us the opportunity to actually start building curriculum and start to start thinking about what does it look like? So we want to build a relationship. We want to build a rapport, you know, online just via the next year or so, just giving away content. You know what I'm saying? Like, this is what we're going to offer. You know what I mean? Like, and, um, yeah, so it's like 2020, 2022 is the ideal time for us to actually open up the doors and start not just service in our own community and small groups, because this is a this is all about small scale change, but to start opening uh, ourselves to remote learning and, you know, like make ourselves uh, available for people domestically and internationally. It's fantastic, man. I feel like um, the one thing that's so important in music is mentorship. And I think you know, in this, in the sense that, well, I learned from somebody, and that person probably learned from somebody, and it's all this shared knowledge that in, ends up getting passed down. And there's yeah. all these like little tricks with music. You know, it's uh, these the skills that it's not like um, I mean, you can do, you can learn theory, you can go and like do the Royal Conservatory classical music, but if you learn music the way, like especially the way the, the best way I always learned was through my friends or through through people that figured it out their own way and their way, and then was able to translate that. Yeah, I totally, I totally agree. You know, and the two, the two pillars of the school would be primarily DJing and production. Okay. And inside of those two pillars, that's where you learn the business or the, the the grade A game that was taught to me and many other people about independence, manufacturing, you know, uh, copyright, publishing, licensing, you know, all of these things that kind of like that introduce uh, a level of. I'll say this. We, I decided to call it the Underground Music Academy under, I, I decided to name it After You Are, Underground Resistance, because that was the very first place that, or that was one of the main places that I got my education in terms of this grade A game, you know what I mean? Like, so it, it first, the very first introduction to, to my musical career was through Ann Fiddler, and so was with Slum Village, you know what I mean? Like, Amp taught us hands-on in his basement how to use the MPC 3000. All of these kids that were skipping school, you know what I mean, and, 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 and you know, right down the street from us was a fucking prison, you know what I'm saying? We were heading that way. But, you know, it took a person like Amp who was on the parliament at the time, you know what I'm saying, to guide us to be like, okay, like, look, that's there for you, but so is this. And I remember him physically teaching us how to use that drum machine and seeing him eat 
cool fool, you know what I mean? Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, he always had, you know what I'm saying, the coolest people at his house, you know what I mean? And it was just like, wait, so not only can I make music, but I can survive. Like, I can actually make a living out of this. So that was the first teacher. The second teacher was Underground Resistance. It's when I created the label Blink 47. And I had an idea. I knew what I wanted to do, but I had no idea about distribution. And between Mad Mike and his sister Bridget, they gave me all the game that I needed to do. You know what I'm saying? They gave me all the information that I needed to have. They distributed the records for me. You know what I mean? So we, we sold close to 20,000 of those records independently. You know what I mean? At the, at the, at the peak time of distribution and all of that. So it's like, so, and as much as it is about the future, like we kind of have to recognize our past and for me, Underground Resistance and countless other labels, labels, you know what I'm saying, Planet E and all, I mean, I've just been given so much good game, you know what I'm saying, that it's important for me to put um, a certain amount of respect on the people that helped us get here, you know what I mean? So that's why I decided to call it Underground Music Academy. It's incredible, man. I, I think that, yeah, the, the, the whole industry, dare I say it, is, is kind of set up in such a way that's prohibitive, prohibitive for a lot of people to be able to get their foot in the door, and even yeah. once you're in the door, it's it's hard to maintain. It's a very tough game, like uh, tough, you know. <laughs> but well, um, if you know, you know, and and I think that that's that knowledge is real power, you know. So that's uh, an amazing gift to be able to, to pass on. Yeah, you know, it, it it all comes back to how you see yourself. You know, like it all comes back to how you build. It all comes back to the core of your being. You know what I'm saying? If you're uh, if you're a, it's, it, this is closer to professional sports than it is music. You know, it has the same level of tribalism. You know what I'm saying? Like people who who go for teams for LA, like they just go for LA. That's their tribe. You know what I mean? And even here, in, in terms of this, like I, I look at I look at myself more like a professional athlete than I do a musician. You know what I mean? Like how often how often am I, am I training? How often, you know, like how often am I, you know, like creating a result? Like, you know what I mean? Like how often am I putting records out? Like, you know, so I look at it more like that as opposed to just most people, how most people see it, like smoking some weed and making some cool songs and having, you know what I'm saying? Some, a bunch of half naked women around and shit. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, that's not what the fuck this is, man. Like, this is very much not that, you know what I mean? And what we do is, you know, we provide, we provide, uh, I feel like in, in these days and times, it's musicians that's keeping this fucking planet from falling off its access, man. There's some evil fucking dark shit going on around here, man. You know what I mean? So to so in order to uh, I'm sorry I'm sorry to the parents of my my students that see this in in the future, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> you can see how passionate I am about about teaching your 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 young. But uh, yeah, I say, man, you know it's uh. We're keeping the world spinning right now, just in terms of good vibrations and, you know, like celebration and, you know, like this, the job of a musician is the most important or the job of a creative person at this particular time is more important than anything on the planet. That's really, um, really refreshing to hear your approach to like, yeah, treating it almost like a, like, like sports in a way. Um, and, you know, like I, I've actually found that I've benefited the most from keeping a regular schedule with making music or setting a goal, a simple goal, like make a song a month, you know, or, 
a song, you mm -hmm. know, so I can put something out at, at every you know quarter or something like that. That's really helped um, motivate me, you know, especially because, yeah, like you said, you can approach it very casually and create when you feel like it. Um, but, uh, you know, having that sense of accomplishment is such an important part of, of music. And, and equally, when you put it out, knowing that people appreciate that music, when you get that feedback back, is probably one of the most rewarding things as a musician. Would you agree? For me, no. No? No, no. Uh, knowing that I did it is, is more important than the feedback. I'm lucky that the feedback is normally great, <laughs> you know what I mean? But I, I never read that shit. I never read the reviews, you know what I mean? Like, I never I never um, put myself in a, in a position where I'm susceptible to uh, the opinion of the editor, or et cetera, et cetera. I, I, always, I always safeguard myself from that because... You know, like, um, I'm from a space or I'm from a place that's more than often painted in a certain way. So I do know that in order for, you know, a person to say a certain thing that they're feeling it, their own agenda. You know what I mean? So, again, man, you know, like, I stay away from, you know, it's, it's rare that I even talk to press. Right. I, mean, I, I don't even, I don't, even, I don't do it. I just have no interest man, in general, you know what I'm saying, about about how people feel about it once it comes out. You know what I'm saying? I am making music, man, so I don't punch a motherfucker in the mouth. You know what I'm saying? When I go to the when I go to the to the gas station. You know what I mean? Like that, <laughs> at the at the core of it, you know what I mean? So and that's a that's also a big part of the school, you know what I mean? Like to as a way of like to suppress or uh, use music therapy as a way to uh help people and open, you know, create open dialogue, you know what I mean? Like, so, so it's very important that, yeah, like, I would say, like, the beginning of my career and, and a lot of part of my career, like, I've been told no so many times. Like, you know, like, when we first, for example, when, uh, when Dilla and I and all the crew in the basement started first really focusing on unquantized beats. Mm. People were like, what in the fuck are y'all doing? <laughs> what is that shit? You know what I mean? Like that one particular time, me and Dilla had done some remixes and we had sent them off to a particular artist who I won't say their names. And they hit us back like, something must have happened with the file. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like something's off, it's shifted. You know what I mean? And even going back to Dilla's story about when he produced Running for Farside, you know, and he did the drum programming. They went out and came back, and all the drums were erased because because Fat Lip said that the drums weren't right. Wow. So you know, it's it, it, I'm in a, I'm in a space where it's just like original thought or original concepts or new ideas have to be fought for before they become commonplace. You know what I'm saying? It's revealing the new truth. It's revealing a new idea, like the world is round instead of it being flat. And most people come at it in, in a way where it's like, no, 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 it's round, it's round, it's round, it's round, it's round. Until they start getting the idea, until you're consistent with showing that it's round, nobody will believe this idea or this concept. Yeah. You know what I mean? So it's like, yo, you have to prove your own theories first. So that's why I don't give a fuck about media and all that shit. You know what I mean? I'm so, I'm so, I'm, I want to be ahead of the curve. That's how you always give yourself a job. That's fascinating to hear. Even that—that's that 
yeah, I mean, people didn't like the swing, but now that defines it's like such an important part of hip hop music that is like you can't even think about I mean the whole there's a whole the whole culture of just unquantized beats like it's not it's not even a conversation yeah really you're right it's insane yeah. yeah people assume that it always was but anything that is never always was yeah I remember I remember that time specifically and I remember yeah a lot of people just didn't like it they couldn't they couldn't kind of wrap their heads around it I guess or they didn't feel it but mm -hmm it gave it so much more personality and individuality and, and funk and feel. It's, That's it's, it. Yes. It, 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 it made, uh, it, you know, it brought, I mean, and that all originated from James Brown, right? Know, like, uh, Clyde Stubblefield, you know what I mean? So, and, and we didn't know that he had two drum. We didn't know that there were two drummers playing. We just tried to emulate it the best that we could inside of the drum machine. And, um, yeah. So it's like, <clears throat> it's the shit that people that don't get, that's the shit I'm the most excited about. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I mean? But again, I'm lucky. You know what I mean? People, people for the most part, get what I'm trying to do and uh, what, what I've done. And yeah, I'm lucky that way. Um, I have a really important question because it's a Serato uh, tagline, but um, what does the power of music mean to you? You know, what, what does that statement, the power of music, mean to you? Music is magic, man. Music is magic, you know, it's a, uh, it's a force, it's a, it deals with, it deals with so many uh, physical things, like, uh, you know, like frequencies and, you know, like how people respond to it and people dancing physically, but music is magic, man. It's really a thing where um, some of the most relevant, important records in my life, I don't remember making. I remember being in front of a drum machine, applying myself. I remember those parts. It's almost like a dream. But when you do it really well, you don't remember anything. Because you've become a channel for ancestors. Or you've become a channel for something that's greater than yourself. You know what I mean? Think about it. The idea of combining sounds, putting them in a composition, you know what I'm saying? Arranging them fixing the frequencies so that they don't bump into one another, you know what I'm saying, and releasing this thing. Something that you can't touch. You can only hear it. It's magic, man. It's true magic, you know what I'm saying? It's, it's true magic, you know what I mean? And um, yeah, that's that's part of what I touched on on my, one of my, la my last projects that I put out with a deviation um, called Hocus Pocus. It's just the magic of music. So um, I guess to answer your question, I mean, music does what religion can't. It does what politics can't. You know what I mean? It does what your mom and your dad can't. You know what I'm saying? It does what your parents can't. It does what it communicates to you in a way that nothing else can communicate to people. And just to be able to see, you know, like um, conflicted places become one under the banner of music example Berlin, you know, when, when Jeff Mills and Magic and Mad Mike first took techno there to see, you know, there was a east side and the west side, and then this wall come down, and then everybody's dancing together. To see it do what politics couldn't, that's just magic, man. That's just magic. Man. So, music is magic, and I hope that answers your question. <laughs> yeah, man, that's perfect. Uh, you can't answer better than that. Yeah. I mean, it's such a personal thing, you know, and I think that's the, the beauty of it is, you know, you, you have those 
that first moment and you know as a as a kid and you're just like what the hell is going on and you can't describe it but it it takes you in right yeah totally man i can remember here in parliament for the first time it's like i told my mom that there was there was devils in the speakers you know i mean like i didn't know what the fuck was going on or hearing uh or hearing craft work for the first time man it was just like what what is this like what is this what is this thing that I'm listening to? So yeah, I, I totally agree, man. It's um, it's one of the most powerful things on the planet, I, I, I believe. Yeah, I think definitely politically, you know, um, what you say is so true, especially because uh, a lot of the information that you know, going back to what you were saying um, about when we were talking about um, how a lot of cultural racism and white supremacy kind of can erase the legacy of so much music. Um, if you really love music, you'll find those answers, um, yeah. and you'll find the truth through the music because it, the music doesn't lie. Absolutely, yeah, man. Just, just, just. I mean, it's so much bigger than us, you know what I mean? And to and and just, you know, I'm I'm really humbled just to be a part of one of the you know well-respected people from Detroit and from my beloved city that you know like has been able to be the bridge you know what i'm saying my career my career has always been being the 100 bpm to the 125 bpm you know what i mean to combine all of these interests to get people to build together like yo man this dude over here or this 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 my partner over here you know is doing this and that you know to 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 bring people together you know to i guess to further answer one of your questions that you asked me earlier did i have to pick a side yes i did have to pick a side but i never wanted to my heart was always in painting and music. My heart was always into hip hop and techno. You know what I mean? So it's like, to a certain extent, you have to pick a side, but eventually you be you're able to mend all of those sides together. And I can honestly say I was one of the first people to do it. You know, with, when I put out Tron in the early 2000s. Man, yeah, that's that was. Jam. That was the first. That was the first effort that I had heard where a person took a hip hop perspective and put it into tech. So I've always been a person who, to to bridge gaps, and you know, like this this education center, um, the Underground Music Academy, is just another manifestation of that. Putting putting paint where it ain't, you know what I'm saying? Putting uh, putting George Clinton and 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 Kraftwerk in the same elevator as. Derek Meg would say, you know what I mean? It's just a continuation of the same thing, just making some new shit. Thank you again for being on this on this uh this episode of uh, Unscripted and for your your stories and sharing your your perspectives. Um, also, I really want to thank you for making the remix for um the Brothers Maklovich, uh, uh featuring Levin Kali. Uh, give love to get love. I love that joint. Back day one. What up, though? Yeah, big fans of those brothers, man. Yeah, yeah. Thank you, man. Thank you for thank you for thanking me for that. Yeah, that was a lot of fun to do. I actually did uh, six versions of that. No and, way. Uh, yeah, I only I only I only let them hear two. So <laughs> yeah, hope, hopefully we can uh, release the other versions at some point. Yeah, man. I mean, that's amazing. I, I play that. All, I play that one a lot. And I don't know if you've been on Twitch lately, but a lot of the DJs. Uh, playing it. Shout out to DJ Lindsay from New York. She loves that one. Lindsay, what up, yo, Lindsay? Yeah, one of my favorite DJs, man. Yes. Not female DJs. Y'all get that straight for the for, for fucking 2020. Amen. Not female DJs. DJ, just a DJ, an amazing DJ. Amen. 
yeah. yeah, she's definitely been running that one and put me on. Um, so, uh, yeah, and also thank you again um, for, uh, yeah, remixing uh, the song I sent to you many years ago. I really appreciate that, too. I think it's out there somewhere. If it's not, we'll make sure it gets out there. But um, Okay. All right, cool. Yeah, man, that was an honor to do, man. And, uh, yeah, again, thank you, man. Like, you and OP are like, geez, to me, man. And uh, I'm sorry that it took so long to catch me. I swear, man, it's hard to catch me, but once 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 I'm caught, I'm worth the wait. <laughs> Definitely, I can I couldn't agree more. But uh, any last words that you wanted to share with anybody? Yeah, what I wanted to say is that uh, in in an effort to support um, the Underground Music Academy, I'm I'm putting out a new release, uh, probably the latter part of September. It's called uh, Acts of Love Mixtape, and uh, it's, there'll be three acts, and uh, every month. September, October, and November will be a, a different four-song uh, EP that I'm putting together, and all the proceeds go towards Underground Music Academy. You know what I'm saying? This is not just academy for Detroiters, man. It's an academy for the world and anybody who uh, wants to sustain underground music. We definitely got to thank Detroit for so much amazing music, and and thank you for you know spurring the next generation with this school. So. Uh, again, yeah, thank you so much, uh, Wajid. And um, yeah, make sure if anyone who's watching, check out the school. Um, you can check it out at undergroundmusicacademy.com. Perfect. And where can they follow you if people want to check out your music and um, and uh, on social media? Yeah, check me out on the gram. I'm, I'm on the gram all the time. So W-A-A-J-E-E-D underscore. Perfect. Will do. All right, thanks again. Yeah, bro. Thank you, man. Peace. Peace, Wajid.